protected Bruce, like, because he was...
Good morning. Drew just took the words right out of my mouth. If you were three or four year old, get out of here. And, uh, and the brave nursery volunteers who are serving this morning. So as you can see, I'm not Brandon. My name is Cole, for those of you who don't know me. And I'm just a member here at St. Rose Community Church. Uh, and I'm super excited just to have the opportunity to, to preach this morning and to walk through God's word together. Um, Brandon is out of town on vacation, so we're just taking a one-week pause on 1 Corinthians until he returns next week. And the passage that we're going to be walking through today is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. And this passage, as, as Ray mentioned earlier, has recently been read in our church's Bible reading plan. And since we're doing that plan together, we will also be preaching sermons based off the plan that we read corporately as a church. So this is not a series on Genesis. We're going to finish Corinthians. Don't worry about it. Uh, but this is a sermon to highlight, rather, what God is doing as we read together through the plan as a church. So in this passage, we are introduced to a man named Abraham. And Abraham is the father of a family, the family in which Jesus Christ will later be born 2,000 years later. And Abraham was a man, he was just a pagan man who was saved by God. And he's a man now who serves, trusts, and loves the Lord, his God. And Abraham was, uh, or, or God established a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham believed all the promises that God had said to him to make him into a great nation. And because Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. So what I want us to understand, what is crucial to understand about the life of Abraham in this point of the biblical story is that we start to see how God has relationships with people, not through judgment, but through faith. We saw glimpses of this judgment with Noah and Adam and Eve, but it's here when we see how God builds relationships with his people through faith. So in order to understand our passage today, we must understand that God plan to create a people through Abraham, a peculiar people, a holy nation, and God planned to bless the world through Abraham's offspring. Let's pray this morning as we, before we dive into our passage. Dear Lord, I just thank you for the worship that we just had this morning. God, I, I praise you for being a God who made yourself known to us, who, who wants a relationship with us, and we get to worship you because we know uh, what your heart is. We, we know that you, you've loved us and you've pursued us. God, we know that you're, you are sovereign over your word being preached today and the people in this room and the songs that we just sang, and you're sovereign over every situation going on in, in the lives of everybody in the room. And so, God, you want us to hear this message today. So just speak, Lord. I just, I just pray that hearts will be pierced and, and, and thoughts that need to be repented of will be repented of so they can just be open to see what you're doing in your word and how you are building a relationship with people through faith, a faith, God, that has impacted many people in the room. God, you are good, gracious, and merciful. Give us understanding, please, Lord, as we walk through this passage. In your name we pray, amen. So Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. Y'all ready? Let's do this. After these things, 
God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, the both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it, has, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. God has just given Abraham a very, very heavy and serious command. Kill your son. Kill your son. So in order to understand this command, if we can even understand that, God has given us, or God has given to Abraham, or sorry, or in order to understand the, the command God has given to Abraham, we need to understand it in light of how God has previously spoken to Abraham. So, look with me to a couple chapters before Genesis 22, at Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. This is how God spoke with Abraham before the passage we just read. And this is the covenant God made with Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me, and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. 
Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God had promised that the covenant was between him and his offspring, which we know is Isaac. This, I'm sure, brought great excitement and joy to Abraham. I mean, to hear from the Lord that God is going to do that, it, like that would just be so encouraging to hear that when you have a son and you know that his sons are going to believe in God and then his sons are going to believe in God, it's just going to be an everlasting covenant promise that he will be their God. I don't even have kids yet, but I, I long for that. That if I do ever have kids, I want them to know the one true God. So I'm sure that just brought so much security to him, knowing that his son was going to be a part of God's covenant. But there's a big problem that we just read about. God seems to be contradicting himself here in Genesis 22. His words switch from that of, I will be in relationship with your offspring forever, Abraham, to kill him. Sacrifice him. Verses 1 and 2 of this chapter say, After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. You know what crushes me about this? I bet Abraham, when God spoke to him again right before this, was so excited to hear from the Lord. I cannot just imagine the confusion and frustration that came when he's like, you want me to do what? You want me to kill him, sacrifice him as a burnt offering? I mean, whoa, that's a big deal. I mean, did you hear what we just read? Take your son, the only one you got, because he just, he just sent off Ishmael, so this is the last one. This is the promised child whom you love, and not just you know, lay him to rest, but burnt offering. Burnt offering. Think of that mental picture. Those are some truly serious words. And Abraham, who once heard from God that the plan for the covenant through Isaac, his offspring, just heard the plan for how God wants to kill that offspring. This looks like your textbook betrayal. I mean, are you kidding? This, is God a liar? This looks like he's lying straight to Abraham, completely stabbing him in the back. And if I'm Abraham, I've got to be honest, I'd have a lot of poor thoughts about the Lord. I would, I, would, I would be so anxious about this command. I'd be so nervous. And I would curse God for even giving me this child just to take him away and to take the promise away. But that isn't what Abraham does. That's not his response. In verses 3 through 5, we see what he does. So Abraham, after he heard this, rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood of the burnt offering and arose went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. 
and come again to you. Abraham did not wallow in sadness over what had God just said. He immediately got up and obeyed. And Abraham's prompt obedience in this situation is so remarkable to me. And here's a reason why. Abraham is a dad. He's a dad. He waited and waited. I mean, he was 99. He waited for this boy to be born. He held him in his arms. He watched him grow up. He, he, he laughed with him. He held him when he cried. <laughs> he, he, he taught him how to work hard. He provided for him. He even taught him about the Lord. Those aren't things that you give up easily. I know that there are fathers in the room who would fight to the death to maintain those things. And I've seen some of the men in this room at night with their kids when they're putting their kids to sleep. And each time I've seen this, the, the dads always put their kids to sleep by teaching them about the Lord. And they pray with them, and they love on them by giving them a hug and a kiss goodnight. And every single night, they prepare their little hearts on what it means to be a Christian and on who God is. Now imagine preparing the altar that you will sacrifice them on. It's a big deal. You don't just do that. But that's what he did. How many fathers could hear these words and be at ease with what he just said to do? Every father in the room would struggle to be obedient in that way. But Abraham goes. And he goes with the plan to worship God by sacrificing his son. Let's read verses 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So he, he's just carrying the wood here. And he took his, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. He said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Abraham and Isaac are walking to the place where it will all happen, and as they are walking, they have this little conversation that is super important. And Mark Dever says, his son asks a simple, non-theological question. We've got the wood, Dad, but uh, where's, the, where's the sacrifice at? Isaac clearly hasn't picked up on what's about to happen, uh, unfortunately. Um, but Isaac... In Isaac's defense here, how could he know that's, that's what's about to happen? I mean, he trusts his dad. He loves his dad. But what is truly important here about this conversation that we want to take note of is Abraham's response. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And by all appearances, from what we see here, Abraham thought God had provided the sacrifice, and it was Isaac. It was his son. So we have to pause here because this just doesn't make a lot of sense. God in the chapter before this, in Genesis 21, said, For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Through Isaac the covenant be between God and Abraham will be maintained. So in order for that to happen, somebody's got to live, and his name is Isaac. Isaac must live. Isaac can't be the sacrifice. That doesn't make sense. So how do we wrap our heads and our hearts around this passage? And I think the author of Hebrew gives us insight into how Abraham could even do such a thing. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, as a sacrifice. He who received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, 
even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. How could he reason like that? I mean, we don't reason like that unless he actually had faith that God would do it. And and by Abraham's response to his son, we see that he believed God would do it. God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering my son. That is believing in God and taking him at his word. Abraham was able to go through with this because he knew that God could not go back on his promise. If God said it, it's going to happen. Even if that means he's going to raise him from the dead. So Isaac is going to live in Abraham's eyes one way or the other because the promise has to go on. He trusted that God would provide a way for the covenant to be kept. Now let's read again what happened in verses 9 through 13. And when they came to the place, God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, so we, we just mentioned the faith that Abraham just had. But here we see that faith actually turn into action. He walked with his son for three whole days before he slaughtered him. You know what that is? That's a whole lot of time to turn around. A whole lot of time. I mean, just think about the emotional like turmoil going through his head, the tension that is being built. Do you ever just think to yourself, like, if, if God knew that Abraham had the faith, why, why did he take it down to the last second? Like, why did it have to go until the very end? He knew Abraham believed it at this point. He know, God knows everything. God was not surprised. Oh, man, Abraham, he's about to do this. But it seems that God kept this tension to the last moment. God waited until Abraham built the altar and bound his son to it. He waited until the knife was drawn. He waited until Isaac figured out that, oh my gosh, I'm the sacrifice. He waited until Isaac was shaking in fear. He waited until Abraham was shaking with nerves. And the death of the promised child was seconds away. Then the angel of the Lord appeared and said, stop, don't touch the boy or do anything to him. And as he stopped, Abraham looked up, and there was the provided sacrificial ram stuck in a bush. And Abraham sacrificed the ram, important words here, instead of his son. In this section of these verses, we see God fulfill the promise, but we also see in verse 12 why God was testing Abraham. We knew from verse 1, which we read, that this was a test. Now, here we see the purpose of this test. It says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know, Abraham, that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Well, Abraham passed the test, and God was pleased with how he did, but man, why do we have this test? Why is this test necessary? I mean, from what we've seen from the life of Abraham, we know that he is a man who hears, believes, and obeys God's word. 
In Genesis 15, we, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He obeys God's call to leave his father's home in Haran. He believes, he believes God's promise to give him offspring, to bless, that, to bless that offspring and to multiply them greatly, even though he was past childbearing years. He believes God's promise to give him land. He obeys God's command to circumcise himself and his offspring as a confirmation of the covenant. I mean, what more does God want? What more did God need to see? I mean, if I'm Abraham, I'm like, God, are you serious right now? Like this, this, you, you need this. So Abraham didn't know when it was a test, and this is the thing. This isn't about what God needed to see. God was proving something to Abraham, and he's proven something to us. And this is where it gets really interesting. I'm excited about it. Uh, this test is not about God. Well, I mean, it's interesting. We just read a sacrificial story. But this, like, here we are. Let's, let's, let's do this. Uh, but you see, this, this is a good part. So the test is not about God making sure Abraham was really righteous. God did not take a, a deep breath of relief and was like, okay, angels, he's really genuine. He's good. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. The beginning part of this passage, this test, is about how God proves he can make the unrighteous righteous. God tests believers to prove the quality of their faith and obedience, and it often happens in times of adversity or hardship. And we see that this is great news, that God proved the quality of Abraham's faith through this test. But I'm still asking, where does the faith come from that makes it possible to walk up a, walk a three days journey to kill your son, the only one you got. Where does that faith come from? And what we need to realize today is that Abraham's faith comes from God. It comes from the God who made a covenant with him in which Abraham knows could never be broken. His faith came from the covenant. Abraham had faith God would do what he said because God has always done what he said he would do. But this story is not about Abraham's tremendous faith. This story is about a God who made a covenant with a man which led to his faith. The God of the Bible is a covenant-making God. And in these covenants, God promises to bless his people. And they promise to trust him and demonstrate that trust in a life of obedience. God graciously sets up these commands and ensures, God ensures, in, that the promises in them will be fulfilled. While we must trust the Lord and show that trust by obedience, which is what Abraham did, we do not merit or earn these covenant blessings. Abraham did not earn this. God works in his people. God works in his people to guarantee that they exercise the faith necessary in which the blessings are received. Truth number one is this. The Lord provides our faith. That's how Abraham went through with this. God provided the faith Abraham had because of the covenant he made. So what does that mean for us in the room? The same faith that upheld Abraham during his test upholds you during yours. So when you feel like you have to sacrifice what is most important to you, he will give you faith. I know some of you guys just have, I know intimately some of your all's deepest, darkest battles with sin. And I know that some of you have come just, like, you don't have any fight anymore. You don't have any fight anymore. And when it feels like that sin is finally going to overtake you, and you've lost all that fight, 
God will provide the faith. When you fear and tremble that your faith may fail, guys, it can't fail. The faith cannot fail because it comes from the Lord and there is no failure in anything he does. He will provide the faith. In the most unwanted circumstances that you go through in your life, you can stand on the promises of God and not fear that he's going to drop the ball on you. Because, Christian, we need to see that the same faith which is in Abraham is in you. It comes from the loving father. He promised Abraham there would be an offspring born from the child of promise and you are a part of that promise. The knife did not pierce Isaac. Isaac did not die. Our faith did not die with Isaac. He lives. If you're a believer in the room, you can trace your faith all the way back to this very moment when God upheld his end of the deal. He's been providing the faith, and our faith was born from God. He is the founder and perfecter of it. Only he can do this. This test was not a trap to see if Abraham would fail. This test was an opportunity for God to prove how he changes the hearts of those he enters into covenant with. That's why the test went down to the wire. At the last moment, there is relief. At the last moment, God proved to Abraham that the faith he could have in him was real. So how did Abraham respond to this in verse 14? So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. But God didn't just provide this one time. He has been providing his own faithfulness to Abraham over a period of time to the point where Abraham could kill his son and have faith that God would raise him up again. That kind of trust and obedience is established over time. And you know, one of the sweetest moments, some of the sweetest moments I've ever had as a Christian is when I look back, I'm like, man, God provided there. Those are some of the best days in my walk with the Lord is when I see that he's been faithful to me and he's never stopped being faithful and then he is going to keep his covenant with me. I love that. I love that. I love when I can look back and see how God helped me fight a sin. I love when I can look back and see how God used me in a way that I didn't even think was possible. Those are sweet moments. And and I love how God has just been constantly working here to develop that faith in Abraham. He always provides. God always provides. And so I pray today that your faith will be strengthened in knowing that Abraham walked home with his son. He walked home with his son. The covenant was kept. The faith is secured. But this is not the end of the story. There's a little bit more. I can wipe my tears away. I'll do this. Let's read the rest of chapters 22, 15 through 19. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. So an angel of the Lord here in this part of the story has appeared a second time to Abraham with another message from God. And in this message, we see the Lord do two things. He makes an oath. And we see him make some more promises. So God starts off by saying, by myself, he has sworn. By myself, I have sworn. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> we, don't, we don't say that. When we swear by something, we are trying to add value to what we are about to say. So we say things like, on my mother's grave, or I swear on the Bible, whatever. 
Why do we do this? Why do we swear on something great and valuable? Because what you're trying to say in that oath is, if, I'm, if I prove false about this, if I'm lying, then let my dead mother be a liar. Or, or let the Bible be false. So we do it to add validity to what we were saying, but why would God swear by himself? I love how this one pastor says it. He says, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Do you see what God is doing here? He was saying, Now I want to give my people strong encouragement, so I will add an oath to my promise to show them how much I want to undergird their hope. So what shall I swear by? I can swear by the sun and the moon, they are great. Or I can swear by the world, or by the people Israel whom I love, the apple of my eye. Or I could swear by all the angels of heaven, by Gabriel and Michael, but no, none of these are great enough to give the level of encouragement and hope I want my people to have. So when God makes this oath to Abraham, he is giving him the greatest assurance ever. If there was greater, he would have given it to him. But he swore by himself that he would bless Abraham. And what did he bless Abraham with? He will multiply your offspring as numerous as the stars and the sand. He said, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And he said, every nation on the earth will be blessed by your offspring. So these promises, pretty, pretty grand, pretty big. Like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stars and sand out there. There's a lot of enemies. There's a lot of evil. And there are a lot, a lot of nations that need to be blessed. So based on this passage that we just walked through, how or, sorry, based on the passage we just walked through, what can we expect from God when he makes promises like this? We just saw him fulfill a covenant promise, so we know he'll do that. We just saw him provide faith in that promise, so we know he will do that. And we also saw how God provided a sacrifice to make those promises a reality, so we know he will do that. And when Abraham heard these promises, he didn't know how God was going to do it. He just knew that it would happen. But we in this room, we know the full story. We know that the offspring in which all of these promises get fulfilled is linked to one single future descendant. They will be fulfilled through one man, and his name is Jesus. A covenant, a new covenant promise was established with Jesus. So we have, we have the covenant. The new covenant is the promise that God will forgive sins and restore fellowship with those whose hearts or turn toward him. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the, and his death on the cross is the basis of this promise. So we have the covenant promise, and God provided faith to us in that promise because Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus got up and walked. So because he got up and walked and was resurrected, everything's changed. Everything has changed. Only he could do this. He was the perfect spotless and blameless sacrifice God provided so that those promises we just read could be a reality. This is how God builds relationship with his people through faith, through the resurrection of Jesus and the new covenant. He is is risen again. And truth number two is this, the Lord provides the sacrifice which makes our faith possible. There is no faith in God apart from the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. There is no faith for Abraham in the future promise if the rain was not provided. If Isaac died, we wouldn't be here. But if Jesus never died and rose again, we wouldn't be here. But we are here. 
And we're gathered together by his grace and his mercy towards us. We are gathered together because he fulfilled the promises made to Abraham. And he's currently fulfilling the new covenant promise that he gave to us. And Jesus' sacrifice is why Christians number as many as the stars in the sand. Believers, each one of you are a part of that. You're a little speckle of sand in the story of God. And in the little star in the sky in the story of God. And there's going to be a whole lot more of them because God's still doing his thing. Jesus' sacrifice is why death and Satan have been defeated, and he possesses their gate. It points to us in, in, that, uh, in the verse, it says, and he will possess his enemy's gate. And Jesus is the one who possesses his enemy's gates. And we are at church this morning, in this room, because the Lord possesses his enemy's gates. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against the Lord's church. Jesus' sacrifice is the reason that every nation will be blessed. Christianity is for Jews and the Gentiles. You are one of the nations who has been blessed by the sacrifice of Christ. And praise God for the many more which will be blessed. I mean, there's a girl in Nebraska in Timor-Leste, this little tiny country, proclaiming the name of Christ because she married a faithful brother who loved the Lord. Many nations are getting blessed by God, and we see it take place here. And we are part of the ends of the earth that God has come to so that we could be blessed by the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. And praise God for Revelation 7, which says, A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The lamb he is fulfilling these promises as we speak because God wanted a relationship with his people. God is building a relationship with his people through faith, a faith that he provides through a sacrifice that he provided. That is what the Lord is doing. That is our story. That's where we were in this part of the story, and we still see that now God is still building a relationship with people through faith in his son, who was the perfect sacrifice. So before we go, I want to leave you with some takeaways to walk home with. Celebrate. This passage has encouraged me so much this week. I, used to, I want to get into that in a minute, but I'm about to get into it in a minute. But just celebrate the faith that you have. Celebrate the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. He provided the sacrifice because he actually wants to be your God. He wants to reconcile his creation to himself. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants you to have faith in him so much so that he provided the son as the sacrifice. So celebrate the new covenant which was made with you to take away the sin of the world. The second takeaway, trust him. This passage used to make me so anxious. I, I remember being in high school being like, oh my. What does this passage mean? I remember asking myself questions like, what is God going to ask me to give up? And at the time, it was this girlfriend I thought I was in love with. <laughs> Stupid. But what is he going to ask me to give up? I mean, it, like, things are hard to give up. What, what is he going to take away from me? I promise you, though, what he does ask you to give up will be for your good. And I used to ask myself, will I be able to be faithful? Like, can I be faithful like Abraham if God asked me to do that? But Satan likes to twist scripture. And there is an anxious thought path that he wants to take you down. And that is not what this passage is about. This is not based on what you do, but it is based on him 
who is able to keep you. Him who is able to keep you and to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Trust him. That's that's what God is in the business of doing. He's in the business of changing hearts. Lastly, remember the gospel. The gospel, the good news. The good news is this, John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And in Ephesians we see, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. The faith that he provides. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This passage should be an encouragement to you that he is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, and he is faithful to the very end. Let's pray, and then we can sing. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, we we just know that 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 passage is hard to understand, but as we... We study more about you and we read the rest of your word. I just pray that we will see that you really are faithful and that there is no faith apart from you, the faith that you have given us. God, I just pray that my church family will will just fall in love with the fact that you don't drop the ball. You don't break your promises. You don't stab us in the back. You're not a liar. You don't betray us. But God, you provided your only son so that we could have confidence in the fact that you love us and you have grace and mercy towards us. In your name we pray, amen.